Hi, my name's Lisa Smith Henderson, and I am the host of Alma Am I Racist? It is an anti-racist pro-black podcast, and you can find out more about us by going to almaamiracist.com. We talked to Wimby Simbi of Zimbabwe uh, before about healthcare, and we talked about the problems that uh, are involved with systemic racism within the healthcare field, not just in America, not just in Zimbabwe, where she lives, but in South Africa as well, and Australia. So I think um, we have kind of covered what the problems are, Wimby. Thanks so much for coming back to talk to us. What is it now that we want to look at as far as the solutions? And I know there's not an easy answer, and I don't expect you to give it to me, a white person living in the U.S. with, I have to say, very white male-dominated medical culture. And I'm becoming aware of shining the light on these problems is sometimes all I can do is to say, Mm. this is real, this exists. But from your viewpoint, if you could get into a system, how, what would you do to change? I think, you know, the first step is what we're doing right now. We're having a conversation and it comes from having these conversations and people hearing it and being aware. So I think one of the biggest things for my fellow black and brown people is to be aware of these biases because you are in the first world or because your doctor is white does not mean better. And because you're not in the first world or wherever you are and your doctor is a man also might not mean better because you need to just be aware that there's a system. This is systemic racism. It's in the system. It's most people aren't even aware that they're doing this. But you as a black woman need to be aware of these biases. And before you buy into, let's say your friend's experience with a certain GP or specialist, consider the fact, does this person look like me? Does this person have the same lived experiences as me? Would this person be able to understand and hear me? And once you do things like that, you're then able to really find your kind of niche of of specialists. And I found that homeopaths, holistic medicine is the most welcoming section of medicine ever. It's so affordable. They give you remedies that you can continue to use out throughout your life for chronic issues without going bankrupt. And it's not damaging your system as much. So I think with anyone really dealing with chronic pain or chronic illnesses, I would say go the homeopathic way because they look at your whole system. They listen to your oral history. They they listen. Go to a doctor that listens and not everyone is going to listen. And the second you feel unheard, don't, don't spend any more time thinking that they've got eight years of medical school. That's out the door. Because when your mental health starts to break down or you start to feel unimportant, your body is next to follow. So we might not have the solutions, but we're on the right track. And the first step to any kind of problem, I always say as a global citizen, is awareness. If we don't know there's an issue, we're never going to fix the issue. So the health system is broken. Let's acknowledge it. People need to acknowledge it and fix it. And it starts at medical school. 
is their, you know, global citizen class. Hey, you're going to deal with different types of patients. Is there a global citizen class? I don't think so. No. And that's where we have to start. Yeah. And I think the beauty of homeopathy is it is very, to me, it's like therapy. I mean, mm. my doctor is uh, a medical doctor and a homeopath. Mm-hmm. And I go in, it's like a therapy session. It's 45, 55 minutes of, okay, tell me more. Tell mm-hmm. me more. And <laughs> thank you. What about that? You know, like a good therapist is going to kind of pull all of it out of you. And it is the not being heard because you were dismissed, 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 and dismissed, and your sister. So one of the things would be to find somebody that looks like you. So maybe if you're a woman, a woman, uh, mm-hmm. and if you're black, especially, I would think you you really nailed it with mental health care. I, as a white woman, I don't give a damn how much experience I have, how well-trained I am. I'm never going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I'm just not. And also as a white person, I need to acknowledge I have white privilege. I don't ever have to think about that. I haven't had issues because of racism directly affecting me. Now, people I love have experienced it and that affects me, but that's not the same thing. Yeah, it's not. It's not the same thing. And it's really hard to then have a conversation with someone who's saying, oh man, I'm so sorry you're going through that. You know, I can, I can relate. Nope. No, you can't. You, you will never be able to feel the feeling of trying to help an old lady on her tram and her screaming the N-word at you and to leave her alone. You will never be able to understand that feeling of going into a club after passing your exams and dancing and being told you're drunk. Me? My song just came on. What do you mean? I just got here. I'm drinking Sprite. Ask the bartender. You know, it's it's the micro attacks that accumulate in the mind. And, you know, we're speaking of homeopathic medicine, which is basically alternative medicine. When I was in Australia and South Africa, I struggled a lot because I have a lot of home family remedies. We've got this root. We don't even know what the root is called. Boil it up, tummy ache, diarrhea, ulcer, whatever it is. If it's within your stomach cavity, gone. Hangover, literally anything related to the tummy being sore, bloated, or acting funny, boil the stuff up, good to go. I couldn't get it anywhere. I'm not allowed to bring it with me. I mean, when COVID hit, there's a root we boil. It's just this fat, like bulby looking thing. I think it, I think you guys have called them, um, I'm trying to think, it looks like a potato kind of like, I don't know, but you boil it and you inhale the fumes and it acts like a VIX to some extent, like a, like a eucalyptus ah. something, something, you know, and this is readily available just in the environment, but I don't have access to these things. And even my health kind of went like, because all my food is more or less organic because it comes from mom's garden or my garden, or even the big supermarket chain is coming from straight from the fields. And yeah, we have fertilizers here and there, but like in Australia, I couldn't eat beef. I couldn't eat kale, which is weird because we have a family of kale here. I couldn't eat like spinach, anything with a high green pigment. 
couldn't eat it because it was uh, interfered with chemically. Yeah. So much. Yeah. So, so you want to have this homeopathic or very natural traditional diet that keeps your immune system healthy, but you're in a context that doesn't let you bring that with you. In South Africa, I could bring them, but in Australia, it, I'm sure everyone's heard of border police in Australia. They don't play. <laughs> they will find it. If it's a bag of tea, they will find it. So yes. I think the, yeah, like the moral of the story is there's so much more to the conversation of medicine. There's so much more we don't know, but there's this kind of dichotomy within medicine, healing and health, which on this side, there's, you know, your traditional, your homopathy, anybody can do it. People love sharing remedies. You know, it's not special information. It's, I just want you to feel better. Then there's the structural scientific side that involves studies and all these things and who is being studied. I mean, when you look at most trials, are black people involved in these trials? If I take this medication, yeah. is, am I gonna react the same? Do people in my climate born, you know, exposed to the type of soils I've been exposed to, am I involved in this trial? But you're marketing all this stuff to African countries. It's like baby formula, breast milk is best. It's not an argument, but if you want to do bottled, it's okay. If you want to breastfeed, it's okay. But then you come to Africa, tell us, hey, this is the best thing, but we don't even have the clean water or the pot or the heat to boil this baby formula. But because it's coming from a white man, that's it's what supposed to do. be better. And then we have this outbreak in child health over the 90s. Crazy. And so we have a whole nother conversation to discuss, which is money, money and greed and power, uh, not just from the pharmaceutical industry, but from the, the food industry and mm. governments and exchanges. And so we should have a whole nother conversation. I'll have to get more educated to talk to you about that. <laughs> I have a lot of opinions, but I have no virtually no facts except my own lived experience, which is that I I remember going into my dermatologist and I had something kind of bumps on my arm. He goes, you're just going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. And I said, I know, but I think it's because I'm thinking something. He goes, oh, Shirley MacLaine out on a limb, you know, just any time oh, I would kind of hint at something being psychosomatic. I no longer have those bumps on my arms. I did not have to live with that for the rest of my life. They're gone. But, you know, well, we can do an MRI, we can do an x-ray. And I talked to a friend of mine who comes from a family, a, a white woman comes, European, comes from a family of health practitioners. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, what do you do about going to the doctor? And I said, I haven't been to the doctor in eight years. She was like, what do you mean? I said, I had to get a, a health checkup before we moved to South Africa. <laughs> that was it. And you know what? Sometimes you're just okay. And like what you said, the psychosomatic issues are already grossly ignored in the world. But when you break it down, the browner, the darker you are, the quieter and more silenced you become. And that makes sense too, the more you internalize it. So there, and I thought there was something interesting in one of the studies I read, you know, when they teased out everything, when they mm -hmm. teased out socioeconomic, nutrition, healthcare, all of that, no matter what, 
black people had more medical problems. Didn't matter if they had great health care, didn't matter if they had more money, didn't matter if they ate better, they had more help. And, and so you've got to think there's this underlying, this systemic racism that's playing mm. into health factors. Yeah. And I mean, um, the, the one that's not really spoken about is, I, I know we mentioned, you know, talking about it and being aware is a solution. But at the same time, there's a lot of black and brown people that are aware of it, but will not go to the doctors because they've had loved ones die after going to the doctors with things that were so curable. It could have only have been incompetence because that person was black or brown and was not a priority. One of my spiritual mentors who is now 98 years old, she was in an automobile accident in her 30s. And they brought her in to a white hospital and they said, oh, you look fine. No problem. She went home that night, got very, very ill. They rushed her back to the hospital. She had internal bleeding and she almost died. And she told me it's because I was a black woman. They dismissed me. They dismissed it almost, pain. It almost killed her. And I think... Okay. And that was up north. That wasn't, I can see, you know, that happens in the Southern part of the United States because I've lived in, but, but this was in New England in a big city and almost cost her her life. And look at her now she's 98. She almost didn't make it out of her thirties. So I think you're right. There is, and I think it's a very valid mistrust Mm. of, Mm. of, of the medical And yeah, I don't think they're not having nutrition classes and they're certainly not having, how do I be aware of someone's cultural background and be more sensitive? And and what's interesting is, is doctors have a, have a module it's called, uh, I think it's oral histories, oral patient histories or something like that. There's always a component of that in all the schools, regardless of its dental up to whatever they they ask the patients you know how are you feeling today that question what brings you in today so it gets to the point where you ask yourself why did you even ask me that so to an extent you've been taught that my oral history is important but you're choosing to ignore it and maybe that's where the root of the problem is is that they are aware of these things I mean like we said these guys have been to school for like nine years, some of them 12 with double board certifications. How can you forget the first thing that I hope they teach you in medical school? How are you today? What brings you in today? Human and, to human and wait, wait to listen. How are you yeah. today? Okay, that's good. You know, don't, you don't know, rush. Over. Let me kind of get there. Let, let me, let me share as give you as much information and background as I can, because I know you don't have this background. I, I, there's no medical file they could pull up on me in Australia, but it was all in my head because I've lived my life. So I can tell you all the conditions, the bumps and the breaks that I've had. But like you said, Lisa, if you're not waiting for me to, to get through it. I think too, I've had this experience on two separate occasions Uh, One was when I had cataract surgery and I flipped out. I I kind of woke up and I could feel them working on my eyes, but they had like a big thing covering my whole face. 
and head. And it brought back some trauma from my childhood. And I started crying and I could not stop. I cried for two solid days. So when I went back to see the doctor, I said, do you think it might be a good idea to ask your parent, uh, your patients, if they've ever had any kind of trauma or sexual abuse or something? All they ask you is, are you claustrophobic? And he goes, oh, yeah, I had a guy who was waterboarded and tortured. And I'm thinking, and that doesn't make you want to ask your patients, have you had anything that being in a dark room held down? My you know, feet? and, and you, you don't even, they don't really tell you what's going on if it's an emergent or very like rushed thing. When I had my um, kind of emergency um, operation and remember, are you pregnant? I was bleeding internally too. But they had to wait for the pregnancy test to come back, which is in another lab. But because your medical aid doesn't cover it, we have to call a driver and you need to pay for the driver to go and get the things tested. And then it comes up. And this whole time, I am literally feeling my lung capacity reduce. I'm looking at my brother like, if I die, like I'm literally telling him, if I die, you know, all these things get to the hospital, you know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, we can't give you anything for the pain because only the doctor can prescribe anything. So there's also kind of like the sense of, we can see someone's in pain, but procedure first, procedure first and procedure dictates that only this person can do anything. And it's like, we're all people here. If we started looking at each other, like if that was my kid, if that was my sister, if that was me, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be helped? You know, how would I, how would I go about it? I mean, it's as simple as, um, I don't know if you guys have the same thing in the States, but sometimes I'll see um, some people begging outside the pharmacy saying, you know, I'm crazy and I need medication and whatever, whatever, can I have some, you know, some money for food? I take 10 minutes out of my time, check out the prescription. Most of these meds are very cheap. Get them their medication, go get them a loaf of bread, drink something. And I'm like, hey, there you go. Don't take this on an empty stomach. It's five bucks, 10 minutes of my life versus I just drop a dollar in there, which is like, you know, that decision between food and medication and, and you know, you're almost right. introducing stress into this person's life. I'm like, if you're going to help someone who's sick, help them. Right. You know, and, just, and that's a great point. On an individual basis, we can do, we can do more. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's just listening to a stranger complain about their aches and pains. Just like you said, it's being heard. My cousin is a little bit younger than I am, but sometimes we'll just get on the phone and it'll be like, tell me all your ailments. <laughs> I, I as we get older friend. and it's I like it. so nice yeah it's, it's like, like it's so oh good to be like yeah you know I couldn't sleep last night my back was like yeah I get that sometimes too there's something about yeah. hey we're aging together high five I'm not alone in this world and it's that isolation right. I think that compounds everything and makes it all worse because you feel so alone but just the friendly face a quick chuckle. Uh, you know, my tummy wasn't too great yesterday. I was doing laps all night. Oh, did you get the two blind paper? <laughs> and you chuckle, you chuckle. And right. you feel that release of the endorphins. And they actually do something. That's yes. that's free. That is free. Being there for someone, 
Well, I feel very blessed I met you and that we somehow tumbled into this conversation. And now you're talking to me and sharing your experience and we're shining a light on something that I haven't addressed in the show before. So I'm, I'm tickled. Will you come back? Yes, of course, I'm coming back and I'm coming back okay. with an environmental viewpoint. Yes. Okay. Next time. Yes. We'll talk <laughs> about, uh, we'll talk about glyphosate and uh, bad water. <laughs> yes. We're, we're going to yeah. put everyone in the naughty corner next time. Yeah. So yes, we'll, we'll use your environmental scientific background and your personal experience. Cause that is what is so valuable. Because at the end of the day, it starts here with a conversation and it starts with someone listening to this conversation and it grows and we can make a change. I, I don't believe anyone is stuck in their ways. I don't believe that anyone has to be a racist. I don't think so. And I think if you didn't know you were one, well, maybe now you know you're one and you've got the power to do something about it. Right. Yeah. Wimby, you are amazing. I thank you so much for sharing with us today. It was great to have oh, you. Thank on. you so much, Lisa. Thank you, Wimby. So glad you were here and you're going to come back, right? Okay, so I think next time Wimby and I may talk about the environment. As she is an environmental scientist, uh, we can talk about how racism affects us climate-wise and our environment. And believe it or not, there's a tie-in. Thanks for listening today to Alma Am I Racist? If you want to send me an email, you're welcome to do that, almaamiracist at gmail.com. And you can check us out on the web. Alma and my racist.com. Thanks for listening and hope you'll join us again next time.